Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Laughing Through the Pain podcast. I am your host, Eleanor. I'm Marianne. And today we are talking about one of my favorite subjects, um, (laughs) serial killers, but specifically female serial killers. Um, Yeah, we're just going to go over a couple basically talk about their crimes, discretion warning beforehand. Um, Some of this might be disturbing to listeners, um, so please proceed with caution. Yes. (laughs) They're they're not serial killers because of the kind things that they have done. (laughs) They have done some really nasty stuff, so... Yup. Viewer discretion is advised. <laughs> yes. Also, neither one of us have any background in forensics, so all of this <laughs> is purely um, just opinion-based, um, based upon just what's what we found in, in the brief research that we've done about these stories. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you want to take it from here and talk about our first female serial killer oh yes our first bad gal on the list amelia dyer born in 1837 she first trained as a nurse and as a midwife and by the 1860s she became a baby farmer what the heck is a baby farmer you may be asking and very validly asking i might ask (laughs) yeah i had no idea what this was until (laughs) we looked her up further i was legit like do they grow babies like in the ground plant baby seeds and just sprout (laughs) babies like cabbage patch kids my thought was like and this is very morbid but like harvesting yeah like organs and stuff yeah thankfully it's not that dark and it's not as ridiculous as what i thought because i think farming (laughs) and i think like cows and stuff so, you know, old MacDonald had a farm, <laughs> and on this farm he had a baby. So, no, baby farming was a real thing. Thankfully, it is a very outdated <laughs> uh, trade, but in Victorian-era England and in a... Uh, even in Australia, and less commonly in the United States, this was mostly in uh, England, Uh, baby farming was the historical practice of accepting custody of an infant or a child in exchange for payment. Um, The Poor Law Amendment Act of 1834 made it so fathers of illegitimate children were not obligated by law to support their children financially. Hmm. So a lot of women were left with very limited options in how to raise their children. For a fee, baby farmers would adopt the unwanted children. And I cannot use the word adopt more loosely. Adopt. Because more often than not, the children were mistreated, neglected, and killed or just left to die. I can't imagine that the quote-unquote adoption was even that legal to begin with yeah Yeah. like my my thought is like it would be something more just like 
you pay them the fee for the child, mm-hmm. give them child. There's no, like, legalities or anything with that. Yep, that's essentially what it was. It was like a really, really, really crappy nannying service. Except most of them died because most of the baby farmers just needed money and didn't know what the heck they were doing. They probably didn't care. And they probably didn't care. Yep. Historically, more babies died in baby farming. Can you imagine that? Ugh. Ugh. Um, Unscrupulous carers resorted to starving the farmed out babies to save money and even to hasten death so that they could move on to the next family, take the next child, and secure the next payment. Mm. Noisy or demanding babies could be sedated with easily available alcohol and or opiates. Yep, Godfrey's cordial, known as Mother's Friend, which is a syrup containing opium, was a frequent choice. Jeez. It, I can't believe it, an opium-laced syrup was given to quiet these children as they slowly starved to death so they would quickly die of overdose before they had the chance to starve to death. Gosh. Which is... Just great. That's so messed up. It's so messed up. So initially, our girl, Amelia Dyer, what a last name, uh, would let the child die from starvation and neglect. She would often use mother's friend. Um, She was caught in 1879 after a doctor was suspicious about the number of child deaths he had been called to certify in Dyer's care. However, instead of being convicted of murder or manslaughter, she was sentenced to six months of hard labor. That's it? I've been working on the railroad. After that, she returned to baby farming, and she realized the folly of involving doctors to issue death certificates, so she just started disposing of the bodies herself. Less suspicious. She also started traveling all around the world, not world, all around the UK. land. UK? <laughs> well, I, I, you hear all around the world, and then I was like, wait, that's, <laughs> no. She didn't travel all around the world. She traveled from city to city. Um, I don't think she ever left the UK. But she would take her family with her. That's right. She had two children of her own that we know of. And she would use a number of aliases to avoid being caught frequently located to different towns and cities to escape suspicion and to acquire new business where no one had ever heard of her. Of course. Because background checks were not a thing back then. (laughs) Uh, She was eventually apprehended when an infant's body was recovered from the River Thames and it was traced back to a Mrs. Thomas, which was one of her many, many aliases. When authorities raided her residence, they were overcome with the stench of human remains, although no bodies were ever found. Several more babies were recovered from the Thames River, each with white edging tape wrapped around their necks. Dyer was later quoted as saying about the white tape, that was how you could tell it was one of mine. It was almost like a... Like a collar? Yep, like a collar disgusting. Dyer was tried at the Old Bailey in March 1896. Of course, like everyone did back then, 
she pled not guilty by means of insanity. It took a jury less than five minutes to reach a guilty verdict. <laughs> Pretends to be shocked. Pretends to be shocked. Less than five minutes. That's really interesting about how when they went to her residence, how there was a significant stench but no bodies. Yeah. Isn't that wild? That's really... I wonder, like, what she did with them. Yeah. It... I read that she strangled some of them. They were very clean murders, which is what we... Per per usual with mm-hmm. um, female serial killers. Yep. More on that next week. <laughs> Using estimates based on timelines and years active, she likely killed between 200 and 400 children. Wow. Yep. That's a lot of kids. That's a lot of babies. Didn't get to live. No jokes to be made about baby farming here. That That's just really sad, honestly. It's sad. It's disgusting. It's inexcusable. Um, on Wednesday, June 10th, 1896, just before 9 o'clock a.m., she was hanged. And here's something interesting that I learned. Mm. Although there's not a lot of evidence to back this theory, there is a theory that because the murders occurred during the same period, some believe that Amelia Dyer and Jack the Ripper are one and the same, and that the Ripper's victims were botched abortions committed by Dyer. Now again, I could not find much evidence Mm. at all other than the circumstantial evidence, quote-unquote evidence, that... The murders happened to take place at the same time Jack the Ripper was running a boot. Mm-hmm. Um, but that would be quite interesting. I can't say that I support the theory. There's not enough evidence to back it up. But uh, it is very interesting to consider. So, she's dead now. She's <laughs> long dead. And, um, I don't know. I don't think the good lord above takes kindly to uh, baby murderers. I just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That doesn't sound it doesn't sound like a very nice thing to do. Mm. Yeah, the theory of Jack the Ripper being one and the same with this Amelia girl. That is an interesting theory. Um but I haven't like read anything about Jack the Ripper in a long time. Mm-hmm. So I can't remember all the details of like those murders, but Weren't they, like, pretty messy? Yeah, they were gruesome. Yeah, and that doesn't fit a regular lady killer. No, it doesn't. (laughs) As we're learning, the more that we research, it's very interesting. Yeah, we looked up a couple different ones before we even, like, picked which ones we wanted to talk about. And all of them, I think, all of them usually used poisons Mm -hmm. to kill their victims yep a couple others used shotguns but it was mostly poison Mm -hmm. or strangulation Mm, strangulation is another another one because Mm -hmm. that's also a very clean so to speak way of murder yeah i didn't read about any stabby stabs now that's not to say that there aren't female serial killers who have stabby-stabbed their victims. (laughs) But none of the ones that I have read about uh, Mm. conducted or carried out their murders in in such a manner. So, Yeah, I'm curious now if there have been any convicted 
female serial killers um, who have Stabby done, stabbed. like, yeah, who have done, like, stabbings or even, like, more gruesome. Um, the only ones that I saw that, like, were torture-related had a partner, had a male... Had count- a male partner. Yeah, had yeah. a male counterpart. But that's something probably we can talk about next time. Absolutely. Okay. Next person that we have on our list is a lady by the name of Jane Toppin. Um, she was born March 31st, 1854. Um, died August 19... 19- wow. I can read. Um, no, I can't. <laughs> uh, she died August 17th, 1938. So, she was born Honora Kelly... That, I guess, was her birth name, I assume. Mm. Um, but she was nicknamed Jolly Jane. <laughs> After her arrest in 1901, she confessed to 31 murders, but only 12 were confirmed. Toppin is quoted as saying that her ambition was to have killed more people, helpless people, than any other man or woman who ever lived. It's interesting how she specified helpless people. Mm. That yeah, that's a really interesting point about how it was helpless people. Like a power a power trip attributing to the to the motive mm. as opposed to finances, which is seems to be according to our research the number one motive for uh, female serial killers. Yeah. Is a financially motivated. Interesting to hear about how she wanted to go on a violent bloodthirsty power trip mm-hmm. curious oh god <laughs> i didn't look at her early life at all um you make a good point about the helpless people because that to me tells me that she had an issue with control mm-hmm. um control and power mm-hmm and, like, when someone is... She killed mostly, like, I think elderly people. Um, mm. And when you're elderly and sick, like, there's there's really nothing you can do. You can't fight back. Talk um, about powerless. Yeah. Like, you are as powerless as you can possibly be, really. Aside from just being, like, totally brain dead, but... Apparently, her father was very eccentric, abusive, and an alcoholic. Apparently, to those who knew him, he was known as Kelly the Crack. As in crackpot. <laughs> oh, I thought, like, crack cocaine. Yeah. So, was that not what crackpot is? Crackpot just usually means, like, you're crazy, you're Oh, kinky. okay. Gotcha. Unless you smoke crack and pot. In which case, it would be an entirely appropriate nickname. Anyway, that would continue. Be one hell of a trip. Anyway, <laughs> uh, in later years, he was said to have sewn his own eyelids closed while he was working as a tailor. The hell? Yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> whack. Quack. Anyway, that's a little bit just about her background. Nothing that really tells me that she had, well, I don't know. I guess her father was sent to um, a mental institution Hmm. and totally gave up his daughters who were 
informally adopted at some point. Hmm. Which is interesting. That is. Um, Toppin used her patients as guinea pigs in experiments with morphine and atrophine. She altered their prescribed dosages to see what it did to their nervous systems. Ew. Um, So at some point in her life, she worked at Cambridge Hospital in, in 1885, actually. She was actually very well liked amongst the people, hence her nickname, Jolly Jane. Then later on, she was recommended for a prestigious Massachusetts General Hospital and then claimed several more victims. Eventually, she went back to Cambridge Hospital, but then got discharged because she was found to be administering opiates uh, pretty recklessly. Um, And then she began her career as a private nurse. She went on a poisoning spree in 1895. She killed her landlord, a man named Israel Dunham, his wife, and then she killed her foster sister with a dose of strychene, I believe is how that is said. Mm. And in 1901, Toppin moved in with the elderly Alden Davis and his family in Cata, how, how pronounce that? Cata, 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 can you spell it for me? C-A-T-A-U-M-E-T. Catamint? Catamint? Catomit. 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 Um, to take care, so she moved to Catomit to take care of Mr. Davis and his family after the death of his wife, whom Toppin had murdered. Within weeks, she killed Davis, his sister Edna, and two of his daughters, Minnie and Genevieve. Mm. The surviving members of the Davis family ordered a toxicology exam on Alden Davis's youngest daughter, Minnie, and the report found that she had been poisoned, and local authorities assigned a police detail on Toppin to watch her. On October 29th, 1901, this was the same year as the murder of those two girls, um, the two Davis daughters, um, she was arrested for murder, and by 1902, she had confessed to 31 murders. Toppin had insisted on her own sanity in court, claiming that she could not be insane if she knew what she was doing and knew that it was wrong. Mm. But nonetheless, she was declared insane and committed to an insane hospital. Ugh. I, I find it really interesting that she was, like, so insistent. I am sane. And they were like, no, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> I wonder, yeah. like, what the, um, like, cri- if they had any criteria for insanity, please. 
They did. It changed in, I want to say, the 70s. And that can be something that I look into before next week. Mm. But um, there was a certain criteria, and then they ended up changing it uh, pretty drastically. Mm. Um, gotcha. Different different standards for what constituted as legally insane. Mm. They probably just assumed, without actually looking into it, but I... The most logical, quote-unquote, explanation would be, like, well, you murdered people. Normal people don't murder people. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, you must be insane. Yeah. I know one of them is, can you distinguish the difference between right and wrong? Mm. Like, realistically. Oh, that makes sense for her statement, then. And, um, was it premeditated? Oh. Because if it's premeditated, you can put thought into it. There's time to prepare and to plan it out. Typically, insane people don't think things through like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Or the planning is disorganized. Or it's disorganized and sloppy. Huh. Um, on June 23rd, 1902, in Barnstable County Courthouse, she was found not guilty by reason of insanity and committed for life in the Taunton Insane Hospital. An article in the Hosier State Chronicles, uh, published shortly after Toppin's arrest, um, reported that she would fondle her victims as they died and attempt to see the inner workings of their souls through their eyes. Ugh. Yeah, it sounds totally sane. Totally. Yeah. I totally believe her. I, you're totally saying. <laughs> yep. Ugh. Under questioning, Toppin stated she derived a sexual thrill from patients being near death, being near death, coming back to life, and then dying again. Toppin administered a drug mixture to the patients she chose as her victims. She would lay with them and held them close as they died. How freaking creepy. That is so creepy. Especially if you're the victim and you have awareness of what's going on. Like, imagine those are your last moments alive. Your murderer is, like, snuggling you. Uh, Ugh. Ugh. It, like, gives me chills. Gross. Ugh. So this is something I didn't know. That there are, like, types of serial killers. Um, cause she was classified as an angel of mercy serial killer, which is a very ironic statement. Yeah, no kidding. Um, typically, um, that is a serial killer who takes on a caretaker role and then attacks the vulnerable and dependent. Um, although it seems that she also murdered for a, a few more personal reasons, um, such as the case of the Davis family. It is possible that she was also motivated by jealousy in the case of her foster sister. Jealousy, (laughs) turn insane into jealousy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She later described her motivation as a paralysis of thought and reason, a strong urge to poison. Hmm. Hmm. She had used poison for more than just murder, 
Um, she reportedly poisoned a housekeeper just enough so that the housekeeper would appear drunk in order to steal the housekeeper's job and then kill the family. Nice. She even poisoned herself to evoke the sympathy of men who courted her. That's one bad mama drama. <laughs> I'll say. Let me tell ya. Ugh. It's so interesting seeing the, like, the parallels with male versus female serial killers. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times, male serial killers kill for, or kill because they're, like, sexually incompetent. Yeah, sexual gratification. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so they get off on the kill. Mm-hmm. Because they don't have... They're, they, um, they're not competent in a bedroom setting and need to take that control. Mm. They also kill far more violently. Um, and when it comes to personal kills, um, they usually find people who fit a type Mm -hmm. so like all of ted bundy's victims looked like his mother oh is that so Mm -hmm. Mm. yeah but it seems that females tend to kill more personal like a lot more like realistically personal Mm -hmm. like she killed a lot of people that she knew very directly yeah male serial killers don't really do that unless they're like on the brink of a total a psychotic break yeah more often than not it's someone that they see in in public mm-hmm. meet at a bar or walking down the street or a hitchhiker or something like that mm-hmm. it's scary to be a woman in this world man yeah i don't think it will ever not be scary to be a woman in this world and that's unfortunate because yeah. it shouldn't be that way it shouldn't, but unfortunately, it, it is. <laughs> it do. It do be like that. Yep. On to our next female serial killer. We have Belle Gunness. Born on November 11th, 1859. She was nicknamed Hell's Belle. <laughs> because, obviously, why not? She was a Norwegian-American serial killer who was active in Illinois and Indiana between 1884 and 1908. She moved to the United States in 1881 when she was 22 years old. Three years later, she married Mods Sorensen. Apologies if I mispronounce any of these names. Uh, The couple owned a candy store, which later burned to the ground. Their home had also burned to the ground. And in both instances, uh, they got insurance payouts. Hmm. Ah, right? That's a really common thing. Very it's much like, so. Oh, I'm going to put a life insurance policy on this person and then kill them. <laughs> I'm going to take out an insurance policy on my business and set it on fire. <laughs> uh, two babies in Gunnis's home died from inflammation of the large intestine, which can result from poisoning. 
although that was never confirmed, at mm. least not in the research I did. Gunnis had insured both of the children and collected a large insurance check after each death. Uh, the neighbors gossiped about the babies because she never appeared to be pregnant. So they were like, where the heck did these babies come from? Oh, that's interesting. Isn't that fascinating? Suddenly babies just kind of appeared. So then she kidnapped them? She might have. Either that or she was able to hide pregnancies. Not just one, but two pregnancies. For spans of nine months. That's not unheard of, though. I don't know. Like, I've heard of a lot of stories of, like, victims who were sexually assaulted. Mm. And nine months later, they're like, Oh. What the heck is wrong with me? I'm in so much pain. And then it turns out they give birth. Oh, dang. Like... I didn't know I was pregnant. Yeah. Man, those stories are whack. Can you imagine? Oh, man. That... that sounds terrifying. Matt, yeah, oh my gosh. Just imagine you're like just walking around doing your daily daily stuff and then boom. Yeah. You're just working on your yam farm. And then all of a sudden, while you're farming yams, <laughs> you just out comes a baby. And then you're like, oh. Now I'm baby farming. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm not sorry. I'm exhausted. <laughs> I don't apologize for my weird sense of humor. Oh my god. Yeah, gosh. farms. No one will get that joke except for us. No. That's okay. No one will get that joke. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, the man she married, Sorensen, Sorensen, excuse me, had purchased two life insurance policies. On July 30th, 1900, both policies were active at the same time, as one would expire that day and the other would enter into force. Sorensen, coincidentally, died of cerebral hemorrhage that day. Hmm. Gunnis explained he had come home with a headache and she provided him with a quinine powder for the pain. She later checked on him and he was dead. What is quinine powder? That is an excellent question. Let us ask magical see Oh lord, that was <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what just happened, but my phone just had a strunk. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Are you editing stuff in the No, no I'm oh. <laughs> literally just like I was trying to get the It kept like flashing at me like error error quinine sulfate quinine sulfate is the sulfate salt form of the quinidine alkaloid isolate quinine so quinine is quinine <laughs> it's like when you look up a definition and it's like define think to think. To think. And you're like, no. Quinine is used to treat malaria. Huh. Um, plasmodium falciparum. Quinine works by killing the parasite or preventing it from growing. Hmm. Is quinine toxic to humans? Apparently it's also used in dialysis. It is toxic to many bacterias, yeasts. Uh, it... Quinine has local anesthetic action, but is also an irritant. The irritant effects may be responsible in part for the nausea associated with its clinical use. Hmm. 
Um, it is not recommended because it has a number of potentially significant drug interactions, including with, oh my gosh, diagazin and warfarin. It also has significantly significant toxicity in overdose, which can result in death or permanent visual loss. <laughs> you know, Apparently... death or you can lose your sight. Oh. Yeah. You know. Seems legit. Apparently, in early 2007, the FDA banned all prescription quinine other than quiloquin. Ah, but um, what did they know back in 1900? <laughs> I mean, it was used in, in the, 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 I can't talk, but when can I ever? Mm. But it was banned, um... Like, recreationally in 2007, so... People used it recreationally? Well, That's I don't know if nuts. it was really <laughs> recreationally, but, like, it, it was not banned other than the Quilaquin until 2007. Okay. So, I mean, even in 2007, we didn't know what it was. We, we just never learn. We don't know things. We're all dumb. Yeah. But apparently, yeah, it was whack. Apparently anyway, using, like dialysis and <laughs> stuff. Anywho, moving on. <laughs> anyway, Gunnis collected money from both the expiring life insurance policy and the one that went into effect that day, making a total of five thousand dollars, which is equal to one hundred seventy-eight thousand seven hundred. Er, wow, let me try that again. <laughs> one hundred seventy-eight thousand seventy-seven dollars and thirty-eight cents today. Yeah, that was a lot of money for back then. Yeah. Um, it keeps scrolling, and it's really annoying me. Belle married a man named Peter Gunnis on April 1st, 1902. The following week, while Peter was out of the house, his infant daughter died of unknown causes mm. in Belle's care. Peter died eight months later due to a skull injury. Belle explained that Peter had been reaching for something on a high shelf and a meat grinder fell on him, smashing his skull. The district coroner convened a coroner's jury suspecting murder, but nothing came of the case. Instead, Belle collected $3,000 of insurance money for Peter's death. Are you serious? A meat grinder? A meat grinder just fell Just so happened to fall... Uh, but did it fall or was it pushed? Or was it pushed? Or did she slam his head into it? And that was $3,000, which again, $3,000 in 1900 is equivalent of about $106,000 today. Jeez. Give or take a couple thousand. <laughs> My goodness. Uh, Gunness began placing marriage ads in Chicago newspapers in 1905. Five, remember, this was just three years after the unexpected death, totally not murder, of her second husband. Oh, yeah. Uh, Didn't you know a meat grinder fell on his head? It just fell on his head. You know how meat grinders just tend to fall off of high places? Oh, yeah. I store my meat grinder pretty high up. Oh, same. You know? It's a very, it's a common occurrence. And honestly, like, in reality, we shouldn't do that. We probably shouldn't. But we're going to do it anyway. 
Did you know that exactly in this country, one person dies every year from a meat grinder falling on their head? The statistics are wild. The statistics, <laughs> one is just too many, I say, too many. You write to your local congressman and you say enough is enough. Ban meat grinders. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. <laughs> so she began placing these marriage ads in Chicago newspapers in 1905. And one of her ads was answered by a Wisconsin farmhand named Henry Gerholt. He wrote to his family to let him know he had made it there safely. And then they never heard from him again. <laughs> the family contacted Gunnis and she told them, oh, he just went off with some horse traders to Chicago. And his family never heard from him again. Seems legit. Seems legit. John Moe of Minnesota answered her ad in 1906, just one year later. After they had corresponded for several months, he traveled to LaPorte, Indiana, which is where she was living, in her what would turn into the infamous farmhouse. He withdrew a large amount of cash after traveling there. Although no one ever saw Mr. John Moe again, a carpenter who did occasional work for Gunnis observed that Moe's trunk remained in her house, along with more than a dozen others, <laughs> including Mr. Henry Gerholtz, who had apparently run off with a bunch of horse traders and yet left his trunk behind hmm. in her home. Hmm. Suspicious. Mm -hmm. Suspicious. Her criminal activities came to light in April 1908 when the Gunnis farmhouse in LaPorte, Indiana, burned to the ground. Hmm. Fire follows this woman everywhere. In the ruins, authorities found the bodies of a headless adult woman, huh. initially identified as Belle Gunnis, and her three children. Further investigation unearthed the partial remains of at least 11 additional people on the Gunnis property. Belle Gunnis was pronounced dead. They just kind of assumed, oh, there's a headless woman in this house. Must be her. Because forensics wasn't really a thing back then. Yeah, it was more of a really foreign concept. You really them for that. There was not really a way. Even though the doctor who performed the post-mortem testified that the headless body was five inches shorter oh. and about 50 pounds lighter than Gunnis. And they were well, like, then forensics failed us. <laughs> <laughs> forensics? What I'm is like, that? oh, yeah. I was like, you can cut them a little bit of slack. It was the 1900s. They, they didn't have DNA testing. They She didn't have a head, so, like, dental records have, were out of the question. She didn't have But, a you head. know, how, did it say five inches shorter? Five inches shorter than her and about 50 pounds lighter. Well, she was missing a head. She was missing a head. Maybe her... Her head weighed 50 pounds. Oh, we don't know. We don't know. It was 1900. Who are we to judge? <laughs> no explanation was provided for what happened to the body's head. Yeah, because <laughs> your head just falls off when you get lit on fire. It just happens, you know? It's Smoke just... inhalation, head falls off. It's just common knowledge. The head probably just burst into flames and exploded and just That's what caused the fire, obviously. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> Whether Gunnis died in the fire or escaped remained uncertain. Although the sheriff blamed a Chicago American reporter for inventing a story in which Belle Gunnis cleared the farm of all of her money and earthly possessions, set it on fire, and ran away. Mm. In 2008, DNA tests were performed on the headless corpse in an attempt to compare the DNA in the corpse against a sample from a letter that Gunnis had sent to one of her victims, Licky Licky Stampy. <laughs> 
but due to its age, the sample was not able to be properly tested. Her actual fate is undetermined. Hmm. Belle Gunness is thought to have killed at least 14 people, most of whom were the men that she enticed to visit her rural Indiana property through personal advertisements, but some sources speculate her involvement in as many as 40 murders. Wow. 40. Wow. That is curious about... I mean, I I am pretty convinced that she did not die in that fire. And that she, you know, promptly ran away with all yeah. the money that she had got. But where she went... Nobody that's knows. That's a good question. Apparently, there have been reported sightings of her all over uh, Chicago, in the hmm. Chicago area. But nothing has ever been confirmed. Um, it's just way too coincidental that she would set how many fires? <laughs> her first house with her first husband... Her uh, candy store that she owned with her first husband. Her second home. There's just fire follows this woman everywhere. So It's like she lights them herself. <laughs> it's almost like she's a serial arsonist in addition to being a serial killer. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, I am 100% convinced that she set the fire, collected the money, and yeeted herself out of town. That's right. I said yeet. Like a grown-up. Like a grown-up. Like a grown-up. Like a boss. Like a boss. Okay, our next uh, lady serial killer is a woman named Nanny Doss. Um, Her birth name is Nancy Hazel. Man, these people just have changed their names like nothing else. I know. <laughs> Um, she was born in, on November 4th, 1905, and died June 2nd, 1965. Um, she was responsible for the deaths of 11 people between sometime in the 1920s and 1954. Doss was also referred to as the Giggling Granny, the Lonely Hearts Killer, the Black Widow, and Lady Bluebeard. Upon <laughs> researching this lady, I had no idea what Lady Bluebeard meant, but apparently it's a story from, like, a, like it's a French folktale about a rich man who continuously killed off his wives and got remarried. Ah, well, that would make sense. That would make sense because this woman got married like four different times and all of them died by her hand. Mm. I think except for the last one. Don't know. Anyways. So she was finally convicted of all of her murders in October of 1954 after her... Oh, she had five husbands. I'm sorry. Five. <laughs> after her fifth husband had died in a small hospital in Tulsa, Oklahoma. In all, it was revealed that she had killed four husbands, two children, two of her sisters, her mother, two grandsons, and a mother-in-law. And a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> Shaking my head. No, but in all actuality, that's devastating. Yeah, oh my gosh, that's Ew. so sad. Her, I believe, fifth and final husband, Samuel Doss, was admitted to the hospital with flu-like symptoms. 
the hospital diagnosed a severe digestive tract infection, um, but he was then released on October 5th, um, and then died on October 12th of the same year. Nanny killed him that evening on October 12th in a rush to collect two life insurance policies she had taken out on him. This sudden death alerted his doctor. Oh, oh no. The thing did the thing. Oh, it did it to you too? Yeah. Oh, sorry. (laughs) All of a sudden it jumped and I was like, the fuck? I know, it kept doing that to me. I was like, stop (laughs) it. The sudden death of Samuel Doss alerted his doctor who ordered an autopsy on him. The autopsy revealed a huge amount of arsenic in his system, and Nanny was promptly arrested. She confessed to killing four of her husbands, her mother, sister, oh, we went over that earlier, um, basically, like, several family members. Um, the state of Oklahoma only centered its case on Samuel Doss, and she was only convicted of that one even though she confessed to all those murders and pled guilty um she did not receive the death penalty due to her sex and due to being a woman um and she was never charged with any other deaths she then died from leukemia in the hospital ward of the oklahoma state penitentiary in 1965 the giggling granny, you said, was her yeah one of her nicknames. Yep, because she had such a charming and pleasant disposition. <laughs> yeah, that looks like a woman that I'd trust. <laughs> I don't know where that nickname comes from, actually. Um, oh, I thought one of the articles that we read mentioned have her having a uh, pleasant disposition, like a cheerful disposition. That was Jolly Jane. But maybe oh. maybe this girl, too. I don't know. Um, maybe I'm just stupid. Yeah, her first marriage was at 16. Um, because her father, who was a very controlling man, um, simply wanted her to marry him. <laughs> ah, yeah. Basically, the only reason... So, he didn't die, but... Um, he... Her first husband was said to have left him because um, he was frightened of her. <laughs> hey, dodged a bullet there, my dude. I know, right? It was also said that she allegedly killed her, I think it was a grandson. I said that she killed two of her grandchildren, but her like one surviving child was said to have been killed by her, by her sticking a hat pin into the baby's head. Ew. Mm-hmm. What the crap is a hat pin? Uh, apparently it's a, it's, well, it's kind of what it says. It's a pin that holds a hat onto your head. <laughs> oh, I was thinking like a hook that goes into a wall. So, like, oh, no, 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 it hold no, it's for the hat on your own head. Gotcha, So like it okay. just kind of, like you put it, through the hat and it like gotcha still gross to the hair still gross mm-hmm. but they could never get a positive explanation as to if that was the case or wasn't it because i guess the 
So her daughter's name is Melvina. Um, and she was A, exhausted from labor, and B, groggy from ether. Mm. Um, she said she thought she saw her visiting mother stick a hat pin into the baby's head when she asked her husband and sister for clarification. They said Nanny had told them the baby was dead. And they noticed that she was holding a pin. However, the doctors could not give a positive explanation. I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah, she killed the baby. Yeah. With a hat pin. Definitely. Doctors are dumb. Not yeah. all doctors, but those particular doctors. Yeah. Although, I don't know, I can't find why she was named what she was named. There's not really anything that particularly talks about that. Mm. That's okay. But yeah. Wild. So there we go. Those are four prolific female serial killers, which, as you probably know, are very rare. Mm-hmm. Um, research has shown that in any given country, there is only one female serial killer running rampant and un- uncaught hmm. at a time. Just one. Interesting. I wonder what the statistic is versus, like, males. That's something else we should I feel at. like I've heard it before, but I can't think of exactly what it is mm-hmm. right now. But that is something that we will talk about in the next episode. Yup. We're going to dive further into um, psychological theories and hopefully some facts. Um, hopefully some facts. <laughs> about female serial killers. What makes them tick? We're just going to make stuff up. Why do they... <laughs> why do they do what they why do? Why do they do what they do? Why, why do? Why, why do serial kill? Why do female serial killers? Why do why do female Because that's actually Because <laughs> that's actually not something that I I most of my knowledge is centered around male serial killers. Right. So like I understand that and could talk about that forever. Yeah. But I don't I don't actually know much about female serial killers. That'll be a really interesting opportunity to dive into some research. I am tread interested. some unfamiliar waters, if you will. Yeah. We can learn stuff. Together. Together. It's a journey. Yay. Yay. <laughs> it sounds like this. I wish we had a camera. Yeah. So that you can <laughs> see we what are we're doing. Anonymous. We are a ninny mouse. <laughs> as Nemo would say. A ninny mouse. A ninny. Anyway. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Follow us on Twitter. We're popping off over there. We are popping off. Follow us on Facebook, too. We got Facebook. We need some more followers. Mm-hmm. Unless you're a bot, then heck off. We don't need any more of you. There's too many. There's so many. It's an oversaturated market, and it needs to stop. I'm not going to buy your stupid products. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, we will see you all in the next one. Goodbye. Goodbye. Mwah. Mwah. Don't kill anybody. <laughs> I don't even have a way to come back for that. <laughs> I'm like trying to think of something on the fly and I can't. <laughs> Maybe you'll have your moment next week. Hopefully. Hopefully. All right. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>